Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. So, Becky, what are we going to talk about this time? Well, Lisa, the questions that I've been asked lately, um, a lot of them have to do with self-advocacy and, you know, what we need to think about in terms of kids today working from home um, and, and even when they're in school. You know, how do we get kids to better understand how to advocate for themselves? So what are you thinking? I'll let you start. That's a tough one. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Um, well, I'm thinking, first of all, that, that kids, no matter their ability level, I feel like kids don't fully understand self-advocacy in general. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it's an issue um, specifically of disability. I think that when I think of self-advocacy, I do think of kids with more significant needs sometimes, because, again, of personal experience. So I think that, that discussing this topic starts with understanding what it means in and of itself. So this idea of how do you, how do you advocate in general and what does that mean? And then how do you advocate for yourself? So I think the first thing that I would say is that as, as teachers, getting kids to start making decisions and even as parents, getting kids to start making decisions is the first step. So maybe rethinking what kids can make safe decisions about. So you mentioned in the last episode this idea of giving kids choice and giving them choice on, you know, assignments and stuff. But, but maybe it's choices, you know, one step further than that even. You know, maybe it is a choice of, you know what, I'm not a great um, speller, so I'm going to choose to turn this in in audio, but adding that layer of language. So it's not just that I'm making the choice, that I fully understand to myself why I'm doing it that way. So for teachers, I think if we can start layering, and I'm not saying to have kids disclose that, but if I'm a teacher of a student with an IEP in particular, I do want them to start thinking about what, what kind of tools, what options do they have, and why are they choosing what they are? Yeah, and, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go parent on this one. Um, if you had met my son in third grade, um, mandatorily retained in the state of Florida, you would have projected maybe. And you hung out with me at that time, Becky. Maybe a high school diploma if we got lucky. Community college if we did really well. Well, we went way beyond that. But I do think one of the things that we are missing for kids, wherever online or face to face, is this natural discussion about disability. I think we talk about race, class, gender, even poverty, and, and don't think it's taboo, but if we talk about Tourette's or a learning disability, it's like, this kid has that. And again, I don't think we should be talking, but I think the kids should. And I think if I did anything right, my husband and I very early on had Josh talk a lot about his Tourette's. And today he's an ambassador for the Tourette's Syndrome Association because he's comfortable in talking about it. So whatever level a kid is comfortable, and, I, and you know, not everybody is my son. My son has great social skills and he's very outgoing. Some other kids wouldn't be as comfortable, but whatever level the kid is comfortable, I think sharing some aspect of the IEP. Look, this information says you are a rock star mathematician. <laughs> Spelling, you might want to count on Siri and you might want somebody to proofread even after Siri has done it because you don't know which word is which with a T and without a T, you know? Um, so I think it's that level of understanding yourself 
that I think is the beginning of self-advocacy. How do you do that online? Well, I think it, it starts by having those conversations. But again, is that conversation with, this is an opportunity with the parent and the student together. Could we have a conversation about the IEP together? And I think my favorite thing I've ever seen in a, in a school do is the students not only led their own IEP conferences, they actually had three slides Here's what I'm good at. And I love the fact, I think to advocate, you gotta know what you're good at. I think we often come from a deficit model and I think a strength model. The second thing they said is, this is what I need help with. And then I love the third slide. Here's what I want you people to put on my plan. And I think reminding ourselves, this isn't a plan for educators or for parents, it's a plan for the kid sitting online. And I think that's what we have to help articulate in whatever manner the family is comfortable with and the child is comfortable with and that the child can understand or the young adult. Hucks? Yeah, well, I think, I think you're exactly right. And those conversations, um, we, even in the online environment, when we have those moments, is a lot of the special ed teachers that I've been talking to, working with, they are still having these small goal setting, talking to kids individually via, you know, any number of, of web-based chats. And really, this is the chance to do that. You know, what supports do you need? Why? How are we going to communicate that to your teacher? Have you asked your teacher for this? You know, and having some really specific discussions. Kids do need to start learning to ask for supports. I do think it's important for kids to be able to articulate why. Mm -hmm. So asking more why questions of kids, that's a deeper level of thinking um, that I don't think we always push them to. And maybe these really one-on-one -on -one discussions that we're having with kids right now, maybe they do need to start that way. Um, I wanted to mention also, Lisa, that, you know, for kids with more significant needs, you know, we're kind of talking about those kids who, who might, might have good communication skills. Mm -hmm. Even for those kids who don't have great communication skills or we might not know their true intellectual ability, starting to give them any kind of choice, even at home, as you mentioned. If I put two things in front of my child and say, which one do you want? Point to the one you want. Th that is the very basis and the basics of getting started on that idea of making decisions and starting to learn to advocate for yourself. Yeah, Becky, I think I would be remiss if I didn't also share with parents or teachers listening, just a reminder that yes, no matter the age and the range choice seems to be a theme for us in, in our podcast in general. But I do think that it's also a choice as students go on. I think people don't realize the IEP stops when the student leaves the public school system. And really, college is about a choice. It's not you get an IEP when you go to college, but that's where choice becomes the most important. And, and again, I reflect in just for those of you who don't know, my son Josh graduated with a four-year degree with a 3.6 GPA, he'll be like, yay, my mom's sharing my GPA nationally, but, but didn't expect that when he went into college. But I think he learned technology skills. He learned to advocate. And what I love is he would go to his first class and he would decide which professors he would send an email to right away and which ones he would wait a week to get to know a little better before he sent them an email. Because he said, I don't want people to be afraid of me because I have Tourette's. But he wrote the letter, he sent the email. Yes, of course, I had to edit it because he spells creatively is all I will say. But the fact that he made that decision instead of his mother called the university to talk to the disabilities office, 
that's what I think we forget if our kids are going to be independent in whatever level they're capable of being independent, it has to come from them, whether it's what I'm going to eat, um, if I have significant disabilities, too, whether I'm going to let a professor know about my disability, whether I'm going to go to college. And I, I think we forget that sometimes as parents. It's really hard when your kid is in first or second grade with new diagnosis and say, is there a future? And you're like, I don't know. Uh, yet I will tell you, as the future comes, advocacy and choice are really a core value. And problem solving, I think, is really hand in hand with this advocacy. Because just like you mentioned with Josh, it's also important for kids and adults to understand, you know, what are the steps, what, what steps in my mind do I go through when I do advocate for myself and somebody tells me no? You know, how do I solve that? What are the steps to solving a problem? You know, I think we do have to get back to really teaching the steps of problem solving to kids, but especially reinforcing it for those kids who may be in a position that they're having to advocate for themselves on the job later, um, in college, as you mentioned, um, or just even within the family sometimes. Do they know what to do when they hit that first hurdle? Yeah, I, I just have to share a great laugh there. So I got the call, um, you know, mom, my rights have been violated. This has happened from third grade forward. I, that's the danger of getting, giving your kid <laughs> advocacy skills. And I won't say what level this was at, but it but was denied extra time on his final in a writing exam. And I said, so what are you going to do about it? He goes, well, I'm going to go back to the strategies I know. He's, he's a big lover of poetry, thanks to some training he received from um, someone's dissertation. And so he said, I'm going to use poetry and I'm not going to do extra. And I say, so got out and I said, what'd you write about? He said, I wrote about being discriminated against and not being allowed to use my accommodations wow. on my final. <laughs> He was like, I don't know, but I thought, you know what, now that is true self-advocacy. You didn't give it to me, now I'm going to tell you why. So, you know, again, I don't, I think the world is not fair, uh, and yet what fair means is everybody gets what he or she needs when they need it. For some reason that he didn't get it, but he found a way to adjust and pivot, and I think that's, that's what self-advocacy is too, is that you fight, but at some point you just say, it's not worth the fight, I got to move on and do what I need to do. And I think you and I both have seen that throughout our lives. Well, we've lived that throughout our lives and our career. Sometimes you run into to a hurdle that turns out to be a wall, you know, but most of the time it's a true hurdle that you can actually get over and, and, and helping kids to learn, um, again, to approach that positively, um, making sure we have, again, while you're at home with your kids, put them in a position to have to solve, solve a problem. Mm -hmm. That is what self-advocacy is. It's helping to be a part of that problem-solving um, experience. So I'm going to end my last thought here is, you know, I also think we talked about kids' strengths. I do think there's a reality check um, that kids need sometimes too about what are you good at and what are you not good at. Um, so uh, again, I'll go back to Josh. He'll love this podcast. I'll have to send him this one specifically, but you know, you can't get out of bed. 
And so he actually got a job working the night shift. It's perfect because you don't have to get out of bed to work the night shift. But even during school, we tried different timers, different alarm clocks. I had one, Becky, that rolled off the bed and he had to chase it around there. It didn't matter. I ended up chasing the stinking alarm clock. So I think also as part of self-advocacy is, you know, I'm really not good at being, I can be flexible, but I can't be unscheduled. And you know that about me. I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And I don't think self-advocacy is only about knowing your strengths, but it's understanding how to mitigate those weaknesses to make everybody around you not want to choke you or be upset with you. And to realize you have a, you have a, you have a voice, yeah. you know, whether physically or metaphorically, we, we all have a voice, um, figuring out how to find it and use it, whether it's verbally, whether it's non-verbally, but in a, in a productive way is key. All right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, for Practical Access. You can send us your questions on Twitter at Access Practical.